Welcome to John's Comic Corner. Ooh, I think that's the first time I've called it John's Comic Corner. Welcome to the Comic Corner, everybody. I am John. I am your host for this evening. And we have one of the best people ever in the entire world in the history of this planet. Um, one of my favorite people and one of the most wonderful people ever. We have the jubilant, the joyful, the jazzy Jeremiah J here. Always too much of an intro for me, but I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> never, um, never too much of, a, of, a, of an intro. Um, and we have a little special treat because actually this time, uh, Mr. Jeremiah recommended something for me today. So um, I'm going to let him take the wheel. I'm going to slip over to the passenger seat. You can't tell because this is a podcast, but I just kind of moved to my right uh, very elegantly i might add thank you thank you very much 14 years of ballet finally came in handy <laughs> um so um yeah mr jeremiah would you like to kick us off i would uh so the book that i recommended uh and i recommended to a lot of people because it's one of my favorite like graphic novels of all time it is adam smith and matthew fox's Eisner nominated Long Walk to Valhalla. Um, it is a fantastic story. The artwork by Matthew Fox is absolutely incredible. And uh, it is obviously spoiler because we can't talk about this without mentioning the spoiler, obviously. Um, one of the most interesting stories and one one of the most relatable thing to relate to. And this spoke to me way more than most books um, because of my upbringing. Um, and I think other people can relate to it as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic book, Long Walk to Valhalla. So first and foremost, what did you think, John? So first and foremost, actually one thing I do just need to get one piece of admin that I need to get out of the way. <clears throat> the opinions is expressed in this episode of the Comics Corner are the opinions of those who express them and not necessarily the opinion of Don't Sue Us Please, John's Comics Corner, or April is the Cruelest Month. Thank you for your consideration. Um, so I loved this book and I loved this book probably for different reasons than you did, um, which I will get, you know, which will come up in the conversation, I'm sure. Um, but um, and it was interesting because the first time I read it, I was like, oh, this is really enjoyable. And I had a good time reading it. And then the second time I read it, I was like, whoa, this is heavy. And then it's the third heavy. time I read it, I was like, oh, it's not that it's heavy. It's that the subject matter is heavy, not the execution of it is heavy. They did such a good job of like such a it is a, it is a hardship mm -hmm. that, that is uh rory is dealing with and they do such a good job of like carrying it lightly that's the best way that i can describe it is it's carried lightly 
Sylvie, Sylvia, uh, her character does an amazing job with the transition in the story. Uh, so real quick summary of the story. Uh, we follow Rory, uh, whose life is right from the beginning, you can tell, has had some difficulties. Uh, he has a brother who, based on the way that I read it, I would call him autistic. Um, and then you basically see his interactions with his autistic brother in the beginning, and then you, his life just, in the years, a lot of worn down, he's moving away. He's changing his life, and his car breaks down. And when his car breaks down, he hears a little girl crying in a cornfield, goes to try to help her, and she's claiming to be a Valkyrie sent from Odin to bring Rory to Valhalla. We learn very quickly um, that Rory doesn't believe in this kind of stuff. And uh, when he starts trying to bring her quote unquote home, uh, she decides to let him in, let him know that she knows a lot more than he thinks she knows. Um, so one of the big aspects of this book is uh, Rory's brother, Joe, uh, who is the autistic brother who sees these quote unquote pretty things, which are so beautifully done by Matthew Fox. Uh, they're just creatures uh, in a sense. And when Sylvia shows Rory that she knows what she's doing and she knows what she's talking about, he finally sees these pretty things. Um, and like, over the course of the story, we get jo Joy's, Joe's, Joy's, <laughs> Joe's perspective, and we see that these pretty things aren't always pretty. They're not always a good thing. Um, and it's just Rory's life, his relationship with his father is tumultuous. His father uh, clearly makes math. That's determined right in the beginning of the book. So you can kind of tell what kind of life he leads his mother's not in the picture and that's another aspect of the story uh, but this this walk with it opens your eyes because you can just you can just talk to someone about your life like just talk to someone about your life and they'll give you a new perspective every once in a while and you'll look at elder memory in a different way and i feel like that's what this book was like really trying to like, get through yeah, it, see, it's interesting because I was looking at it, um, uh, I mean, this conversation is going to get heavy, um, <laughs> but see, I was sort of looking at it because the thing that struck me is there's that moment when um, Rory is sort of playing along with Sylvie before he realizes who she really is. Mm -hmm. um, but he says, well, how am I going to die? And she says, well, that's not really important. And he says, well, I kind of think it is. And it's fascinating to me because uh, Jeremiah and I kind of bonded over superhero comics, um, which you would think would deal with the idea of life and death a lot um, more seriously than they often do, a lot. Uh, more bolder. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanna say better, but that's not the right word for it. Um, so for me, it was this idea about, um, we, we culturally, not we, you and I, but we culturally sort of often focus on death and passing and how and how long and, and all of that, instead of sort of taking these moments and celebrating the time that we have. And that was almost to me what it was, what it was about, trying to find these moments of 
of joy. So like, you know, going crawfishing uh, with his brother and one of his friends. And, you know, obviously, you know, he's he had a very rough life, but instead of, you know, thinking, oh, my dad is so this, my dad is such a horrible person and my mom left us. You see these moments of, of joy that I think Rory sees as a burden. <laughs> yes, um, I, I think you're right on the nose with that. Um, not to jump too far ahead, but one of the, the things that you just mentioned is um, it's not important how we die. Uh, mm-hmm. in, this, in this book, Rory and Joe's mother dies. They attend her mm-hmm. funeral and we never know why or how she died. And that's something like, like that's something to touch on is it doesn't matter how she's, she's gone. Um, so yeah, that's such an interesting aspect of the book. It took me a few reads to realize like, we don't need, we don't need to know why she or how she died. It's not important to the story. Just the fact that she was gone and the way that they celebrated her in a sense or tried to, um, yeah, that moment, oh, God, uh, Rory says something at his mother's grave because they're the only ones who attend the funeral. Um, and um, they sort of act- actually attend an incorrect funeral at the same uh, cemetery. Um, but he says, I'm sorry, I th- I'm sorry, I thought you left us for something better, which is so heartbreaking because it's it's like, and I, I had to read it a couple of times because I was like, depending on where the punctuation is in that mm-hmm. sentence, it means so many it, it different changes. things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, this sort of, uh, this guilt that we carry um, about our own lives and our own failings and our own interpretations of other people's actions you know we and I think everyone does this and I'm I'm again getting very heavy but I I almost feel like what this book does is one of the things that this book does really well is it sort of steps back and it says to everyone none of us is perfect and that's completely okay (laughs) like you can you can let go of this idea that we have of perfection and this idea that we have of um of we're all going to screw up there's no point in feeling guilty about it because it's not going to fix anything that happened and it's not going to make anything better um you know not to say that guilt doesn't have its time and place but um and i think something that sylvie drives in is you are not your mistakes mm-hmm. That, that's another thing that is driven on in this book is like all the mistakes you make that that don't make just you like you're mm-hmm. not everything that you've done wrong um the two two parts of that funeral scene that just got me every time um is and i don't know why i love it so much is the uh when rory is waving the other funeral kind of away oh, like yeah. we got our own tradition and the way he did the way matthew fox did the hand thing it's just like oh my god yes like to hell with everyone else like Mm -hmm. it's it's our thing and it was joe they were driving to their mother's funeral and they witnessed a car accident where it was it was a fatal car accident and uh some people at the accident draped jackets over the dead so no one would see them um and i don't know if joe made the connection with 
the uh, Valkyrie warriors where uh, Asgardian warriors would drape uh, armor over the fallen so that Valkyries could come and carry them away. So that's what they did to their mother's grave is they put their shirts on her mm-hmm. grave. And like, that's such a, just a subtle thing. Um, the, the conversation right after that scene is one of these things in this book that every time I read it, I, I still get goosebumps about it when uh, he's explaining his mother's funeral and he bends down to tie Sylvie's shoe because her shoe had come untied. Mm-hmm. And Sylvie goes, so what was her name? And he goes, Donna. And Sylvie replies with, no, what was her name? And he just stands up and says, Katie. And then that launches into the story about Katie. That's such an amazing transition. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it goes from being this kind of somber moment with the funeral to a, a very uplifting moment that goes away very quickly. <laughs> but it's one, yes. of the, it's one of the uplifting moments in the story that just is like, wow. Like, obviously we knew from the get-go her... She was she wasn't lying. Obviously, Rory thought she was. Um, but the more and more they let in about it is so it's done incredibly well. I absolutely love this book. I, I recommend it to everyone that I can who who wants to get into comics that aren't superhero comics and mm-hmm. I know can handle the material. Yeah. Because it is it is heavy. There's a lot of a lot of dark in here. Um the relationship between Rory and Joe is such a it's something that every brother should kind of inspire to be is take care of one another, care for one another. Um, And as someone who has three brothers and doesn't really talk to any of them, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing. Um, I think that's hard because I, I think it's one of those realizations, you know, the, the expression youth is wasted on the young. mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things that you don't realize. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s, which is amazing because I don't look a day over 27. I wouldn't um, say that at all. Yeah, 27. Oh, <laughs> bless you. Bless you. It's these cheekbones. Everything hangs off these cheekbones. Um, but, you know, I, I'm in my 50s and I think back to dealing with my sisters as kid, as when I was a kid. And I think, oh, God, why wasn't I nicer back then? Um you know, because, and again, this goes back to the guilt, but you're sort of in that cycle of, I want to, I, at least for me, um, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be nicer, but I'm already feeling so guilty that I end up distancing myself more. And I think it's just one of those things that, that it's almost, it's almost like the lesson is it's not too late to have this relationship with your brother. You know, you have to really both decide that you want it, but it's, it, it was an interest. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. I think it was just some philosophical tangent, which I tend to go on. Now, John, when, when you grew up, uh, what was your graduating class size from the high school you went to? 78, so it was a smaller class. Very small. Yeah. Very small. We had we had grades eight through twelve in the high school. Yeah. So so my graduating class slightly bigger, 166. Mm. Um, and like the small town kind of feel, like you the the story between Katie and Rory, you see that in every small town. 
a bunch of kids getting together and kind of just doing life as their teenage selves. Mm-hmm. And part of the story is Katie getting pregnant. Um, with their with their daughter can really was so used to kind of seeing those pickup trucks and kids driving around when they shouldn't be or doing stuff that they shouldn't be but no one's going to stop them because this is a small town and everyone did it when they were younger kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so that was that was kind of another relatable part to the book um the relationship between rory and his dad uh i don't i don't have a good relationship with my father so i i was like right in rory's corner (laughs) the whole time i was like i feel you man I, i i know that angst you're feeling and one of the climaxes of the book is he makes the mistake of leaning into that when he really shouldn't have. And I, that's something that we all can relate to. We all have said stuff or we've all done stuff that we look in retrospect like, man, I really shouldn't have done that or, or I really shouldn't have said that. Uh, and hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. And with this, with this book, it, it shows that even if you you make that mistake doesn't make you a bad person it's there's redemption still yeah um this is interesting so i I am going somewhere with this but it's going to feel like a tangent um so one of my favorite tv shows is gilmore girls what i find really interesting is the idea of a mother and daughter being best friends and you know from a um not a parental perspective but just from you know looking back you want to go well you're actually not their best friend they're your parent you know or you're not their best friend you're their parent so don't try to be their best friend but it's fiction so it's a separate thing um but what's interesting is um in many cases during that show the roles are really reversed and the daughter is the mother and the mother is the daughter etc cetera, etc cetera. um and that really is sort of like I think what was happening between the father and Rory and Joe, because here's Rory, this younger brother who somehow has to be a father to his older brother. Um, and also, you know, it's the idea of, of, of trying to, trying to get your parents. And again, I think this sort of goes back to the expectations, how it plays, how this book plays with expectations of what our lives are supposed to be, because it's sort of, it's one of those things where you think, oh, well, yeah, your parent is supposed to look out for you. Your parent is supposed to do all of these things, but they're not really required. Yes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's heartbreaking to realize that. And it's just, it's especially heartbreaking when you're a child and it doesn't happen. You never want that to happen. You know, you never want that to happen to anyone, but you sort of think, well, you know, this is one of those modern things that, you know, somewhere along the line, I don't know, Maury Povich or Jerry Springer or Sally Jesse Raphael or somebody taught us that families are not always blood relation. It's not always what this is supposed to be, but you know, you, you realize families do this um uh oh what's that line in what's that line in Azarella's Wonder Woman we disappoint us because we disappoint us we fight not because we love each other but that's why we should fight 
and it just sort of that's a great line yeah um it's this this expectation of the at, at almost at every turn no matter how you look at this book it tells you this is what you think but that's not really what it is and there's a lot of great lit that does that um which is almost why I, I look at this as literature and this is actually something that I think um you know I don't know if it will ever happen given some of the things that are happening in this world now, but this is one of those books that I would say to a, a you know, a freshman or a sophomore English teacher, like you should really have your kids read this book. For sure. Yeah. It, it's uh, Matt says something all the time, all the way. Miss you, Matt. Wish you were here. Um, he always, he said something a couple podcasts ago that like, rings in my head now whenever I think of like the importance of a literature um, is the best works are written at a seventh grade level kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a difficult book to read. It's just a heavy book to read. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, I think if this was taught in English class, it'd be great because there's so much symbolism. There's so much uh, double meaning behind a bunch of stuff. Um, it, yeah. I, if I wish I was a, a high school teacher right now, so I could, throw this in like kids laps and make them read it. Uh, it. It just shows so much about being a person and being not a person and the decisions you make meaning something and the decisions you make not being everything. Yeah. Um, it, it's a redemption story. Uh, it's a forgiveness story. It's a resentment story when his father comes around at that like cookout. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the book is like that's one of my last ever relation one of my last ever experiences with my father was something like that like Mm -hmm. it was my my upbringing was so brutal in a sense and the last time I saw him everyone saw him in a positive light and I was 13 and even then I was like this is so fake and you you know those people you see those people who have wronged you or have affected your life in a negative sense get uh praised or get shown in a great light for other people and then the best thing you can do is just bite your tongue yeah and that's exactly what rory does he doesn't exactly bite his tongue but he he is quote unquote the bigger man mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is an awful saying but uh the the end of the book what did you think of the very end of the book um it was it, it subverts expectations because you kind of expect it to be the wrap up of Rory's story and then you realize oh it's not um and the interesting thing is cuz Sylvie says to him I, I'm not going to be able to find the page in the book I'm sorry but she says to him something to the effect of you know one of the things about being a warrior is knowing when the battle is over and it's interesting because I was reading it and I thought, does that mean that there's a suicide ideation there? Or does it mean that he's just running away? And then you sort of get to the end and it's almost like Rory is reborn because, uh, uh, again, comic nerd in me, there's a, I did, did you ever read the classic X-Men series? Not when they started reprinting everything and um, Claremont added in extra pages. Yeah, the Adams Hughes did a bunch of the covers for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've read a, a bunch of the series. 
so there's a line that he puts in, I think it's in the second issue because it's the issue where Thunderbird dies. Spoiler alert in case you didn't know that. Um, but there's a line where Storm Aurora asks him about his home and he says, oh, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get away from it. And now that I'm adult, I miss it more than anything. And I think that's one of those things that ends up happening so often is we feel, and again, it's this idea of growing up and moving away. That's the expectation. But this almost says the expectation that you should have yourself is to find somewhere that you are happy and be there. And it's okay if it's the town you grew up in. It's okay if it's 8,000 miles away. It's okay if it's this, but don't allow someone else to tell you what you should have. And don't think that you can run away from it because you're carrying bits and pieces of your life with you no matter where you go. Um, that is a very long way to say what I was meant to say in a sentence about the, <laughs> about the ending. Um, but I almost kind of wanted to see, and I don't think I needed to see it because it's there in the dialogue and it's there in the, the, the art. I wanted more between Rory and Joe because it was really the first time that Joe kind of was expressing himself verbally. Yes. Yeah. The end of the book is the first time that Joe really kind of acknowledged. We, we find out that he's 100% like with it uh, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um. And the the moment where he's he mentions that she always gets the freshest flowers, and that he picks them from right over there and just points five feet in front of them, is like he Joe's trying, like Joe's Joe's doing, which is what we wanted for the whole book was to Joe just to be to be doing something that he wanted. Um, when Sylvie takes Joe instead of Rory, uh, I was like, that is that is genius. But then I was like what about Rory? Like what's left? And then when Katie comes up and talks to him, it, the first time I read this, I cried like a little baby. Because <laughs> uh, stuff like that is just like, there's always, there's always a redemption. You're never too far gone. Like the worst is only as bad as you can allow it to be in a sense. Like he was, he was down. He was out. We've all been at that point in our lives where we thought this can't get any worse. Mm -hmm. And, and Rory was there. And at the end of the book, um, he gets to see the pretty things be pretty mm -hmm. in looking forward onto, onto life, like kind of, and that's, that's all you ever really want is to be able to look forward in all an uplifting kind of way. Yeah, I think for me, it was almost, um, it, uh, it allows Rory to take this breath and feel like, okay, there's no one left that you need to take care of now. It's time to let someone take care of you for a little bit. And that was almost what it felt like. And I think um, to kind of tie in with something that you had said earlier, um, uh, my sisters are probably, one of my sisters is probably going to listen to this, but that's okay. Um, Cause I'm not going to say anything bad. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say something convoluted as usual. Um, but I, I am adopted and I am uh, a queer person. And so I think my sense of family 
has always been slightly different than other people. And so the idea of, and I say this in quotations, found family um, is not a concept that is as foreign to me. So I think I sometimes have an easier, um, it's an easier pill to swallow isn't the right way. It's an easier concept for me to grasp when I read something like this, because the idea of, um, uh, you know, there's like, well, but he's your dad. And he's like, well, but no. Well, yeah, sure, in a dictionary definition, but that doesn't mean he needs to be here. Not my dad, I love my dad. I get along very, 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 very well with my dad. <laughs> Coming out to my dad was hilarious. <laughs> Have you told this story before? Uh, I think I've told this story before, probably on the show, but I don't think I've told you. So coming out to my dad, I got my mom and my dad look it up, like pour it, like kept pouring a bottle of wine into their glasses while we were watching Law and Order of all things. Cause I was like, all right, this can't be that bad. I'm going to get them liquored up tonight. Cause I have to go back into the city tomorrow because they're in the suburbs and um, got them liquored up. And I was like, mom, dad. And I went through this very long speech. I'm okay. And I'm happy. And I just want you to know me. I'm gay. And my dad was like, well, it's not like it's that big of a shock. You always did dress as Wonder Woman as a kid. And that was his big thought on the process. But <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but the idea, because there is that stress before that, where you think, well, what if my parents don't want me anymore? What if my parents aren't going to love me anymore? And so this idea of Rory starting as such a a family that's so stressful and so bad and ending with a found family in Katie and even Sylvie to a lesser extent mm -hmm. um, and, and finding that it, it's a relief to me, but it's, I don't, I sometimes wonder if it's not as big a stretch for me, if that makes sense. No, yeah, the 100% makes sense. Yeah. And I totally see your point there. Like to come from a fractured and shattered like family, mm -hmm. he's able to to put the pieces together at the end of, of the end of the book and with the help of Sylvie and Katie, even though Joe is gone. <laughs> um in a sense, he still has that that found family, like you were just saying. It's it's such an uplifting note because we started at the bottom and then we went lower <laughs> and then we, we went up. It's, oh man, it's such a great roller coaster of a story because this is a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have fractured families. A lot of people deal with a lot of issues. And there's such like a real point to this book. Sylvie, even though she is uh, a Valkyrie sent by Odin, uh, doesn't really present her powers kind of like she yeah. she makes Rory see the pretty things once and she definitely knows more than she thinks than Rory thinks she knows but that's it we don't see any like hullabaloo so it's it's very grounded it's oh it's so good it's I love this book so much <laughs> thank you so much for reading it of um, course yeah it's it's just one of those things that uh, anytime anyone goes, I, I need a, not a superhero book. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a larger question and I, I I'm, I'm going to leave, uh, long walks Valhalla for a second. Okay. Because you and I bonded over superhero comics and generally that's what people think of when they think about comics and graphic lit. 
Um, and, you know, even though the Marvel movies make a billion Billions. dollars, you know, um, P.S. If Kevin Feige happens to be listening to this and you want to pay off my mortgage, feel free. Just contact me through the podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, don't think that's ever going to happen. But if I put it out, it could, the universe, it could it'll come true. Um, but I often wonder: Do you think that comics and lit would be? as popular now if it was if we had started not with superhero comics but with literary things like this like mouse like uh stuck rubber baby do you think that we would ha be having do you think that we would be able to do a podcast like this that is that is a brilliant question um if you look at the history of comics, uh, there was a time where superheroes were not the, the popular thing. Um, and they, they were a lot more wordy back then as well because they needed to, to fit the criteria yeah. and all that. Uh, going back to pulps, because pulps are the, the precursor to comics. They were obviously more literature-based, but they weren't good. <laughs> they, they weren't meant to be good. They were... They were they were written just to be written. They weren't written for a purpose. So Mouths was written for a purpose. Um, Blankets was written for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, Long Walk to Valhalla, they're written for purposes. And if we started here way back when, um, let's say oh, Mouths came out 40 years ago, so I can't say that that close by. Let's say 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, no, 60, 60. Because uh, Spider-Man's 60th anniversary is tomorrow. So 60 years. If we started with this, would we be having a conversation about comics 60 years later? I don't know. Cause it may have evolved past this. It may be like, a, it may have become like a highbrow thing. Like most people don't talk about classical music that much in that regard. Obviously classical music takes a lot longer over time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I, it would be really interesting to see. Yeah, I, it's just one of those things where I... There is something about popular culture that I think has really only happened in like the last 20 to 30 years where people no longer look at popular culture as lowbrow, and I'm putting lowbrow in quotes, um, you know, it's it's like, oh, Superman and, and Batman and Wonder Woman, they're for kids. You know, there, there was a time when librarians wouldn't put Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew in the libraries because they thought it was trash lit that was, you know, rotting children's brains. Um, so it's just interesting to me because I, I think, um, you know, it's it's like we both worked in comic stores, you know, and you have someone, you have that person who comes in because their friend comes in or their kid comes in or, you know, their grandchild comes in. And I always just, um, I always just want to go, I promise if you open your mind just a tiny bit, I have something here that you're going to really love. I promise. Um, Finding a story for someone who walks into a comic book store who doesn't, want to be there is mm -hmm. one of my favorite things in the world yeah 
Um, there is nothing better in the world than having somebody come back and tell you that they loved something that you recommended and what else can they, can they read? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an enjoyable experience because I the comic book store that I worked in the the one that I worked in for the longest time was a multimedia store. It had video games, it had movies, it had music, and that took up the majority of the store. I got a huge section that I built up after a while, but I I got a lot of people who have never read comics before, didn't care for superheroes, and so I was able to introduce them to a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I had one guy, I'll, I'll never forget it. He came in looking for west wing seasons and was like uh we so we we found him a couple of west wing seasons and he walks over to me he's like do you have any comics like this and i was like letter 44 let's see if you like that which is west wing ask Mm -hmm. (laughs) but find yeah finding something for someone who wasn't expecting it is such an, uh, an enjoyable experience and comics do such a good job as a medium of telling personal stories and to to kind of jump back a little bit to one of the things that you said so about what time do you think comics became personal you know this is an interesting conversation um because i look at um okay don't at me anyone i'm on twitter (laughs) like once a month just, I just hadn't figured out how to turn notifications off to my email. But, you know, people always, people gave Zack Schneider a lot of crap for his DCEU movies. Mm-hmm. And I get it. And there were problems that I had with the movies, but not for particular reasons. I think that comics, like other pop culture, are very much a specific part of their time. So DC back in the 30s, and even if you look at movies in the 30s, they were aspirational things. They, we were in the middle of the Great Depression. People were out of work. People were hungry. We were, there was a war going on in Europe. Um, wow, prescient much. <laughs> um, I realized as I'm saying that in March of 2022, I was like, oh shit. Um, But, you know, so they wanted aspirations. They wanted people, you know, to be. And then in the 60s to early 70s, when Marvel was growing and becoming its thing, we had, you know, we had just come out of World War II and then the Korean War. And we were going into Vietnam and there was this paranoia of communist spies in the United States. And there was this growing disillusion with government and with people in power that hadn't happened in the 30s, 40s, 50s. So I think that what ended up happening was comics went from being aspirational to being relational to probably in the mid to late 80s becoming personal because people who started reading comics in the 60s grew up but they were still reading comics. And so all of a sudden you have to switch a little bit. And, uh, you know, you and I will have this conversation offline because I think I'd get in a lot of trouble if we had it online um, about comics today. But <laughs> I think that, uh, I think probably in the, the mid to late eighties, I think, I think the Dark Phoenix saga is probably what made it 
The tipping point? I think that was the tipping point Mm -hmm. because it was this big, grand cosmic story that you could never tell in a movie, no matter how hard you tried. Or how many hours you got. (laughs) Yeah. But at the heart, it was really a love story about losing this one person that you thought you could always, was always going to be there and not being able to save them. And that, that what's more personal than that? Everybody goes through that. You know, um, how about you? How do you, how do you see it? That, that's a, that is a, a nailed on idea. I, I, I'd, I'd say mid eighties, uh, Dark Phoenix Cycle, what, 83? I think so. It had to have been, yeah, it was had to have been 83 because I wasn't reading X-Men when it came out, but I remember yeah. those issues all on the, you know, the spinner so, rack. I just never bought them. 83, 86, obviously 86 is the year of the comic. Mm. Um, so just dialing back just a little bit the early 70s uh i don't want to give this man all the credit in the world but you can't you can't not acknowledge the work of robert crumb yeah underground comics taking becoming relatable a little bit before mainstream becoming personal a little bit before mainstream so mid 70s to to early 80s that's when i yeah i'm right there with you comics became very personal Mm -hmm. um and then to continue to be and still to this day we get we get the mainstream stuff we get the 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 stuff the superman flying around having a good time batman being broody and all that uh but we also get the personal stuff that i feel that more people who aren't into the superhero stuff. I mean, I love superhero comics just as much, if not more than the next guy. I'm right there uh, on Wednesdays, but I I need this more. I need more personal, more connected stories with people who wouldn't walk into a comic book store. Yeah. And I wonder, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Continue. Yes, I was going to say, I wonder if, some of that comes from the fact that we have been so disconnected for almost two full years. We really just haven't, we've been in each other's lives, but we've been in each other's lives, not we, not Mm -hmm. just you and I, but we culturally um, have just seen each other over Zooms. I mean, just now in New York is when everybody's like, yeah, I'm not wearing a mask anymore. I don't don't care. but I, I wonder if that, I wonder if there will be pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, this idea of, of all types of art, comics and film and, you know, everything being more personal and being uh, uniting. I, that's, what I, that's what I hope for. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I really hope for. That's the best way to, uh, to phrase that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and what's interesting about it is um, I sort of, I hate to be that snob, but, you know, I love, a, a, I mean, I've worked in bookstores for 25 years of my life um, and I've worked in comic stores for 10 years of my life. Um, but, you know, I didn't necessarily ever want to read something that was like, it always like made me grit my teeth a little bit when people would come in and say, oh, I only like literary fiction because I'm like, I can show you some middle grade books and some YA books that will break your heart in the best possible way. 
And it's not that I don't want to lead, read literary fiction. I'm, I'm happy to, you know, read a 300 page novel where the first sentence goes on for a page because of the dazzling, you know, punctuation and grammatical gymnastics of the writer. Happy to do it. Um, but uh, I think I think now people are just looking for connection and representation and not representation in in the way that people sort of say it as a dirty word, just representation of who am I, what am I going through? I, am I the only one who's going through this? Um, yeah, nailed that. I'm just gonna say something. This is my opinion, Comics Corner, my opinion, Jeremiah's opinion. Um, over the past, I wanna say 10 years, uh, probably a little less, maybe a little longer, depending on where you wanna look at it. Representation in comics has gotten so much better and it left the majority, the uh, an outlying part of the majority, so irritated. And every time someone gets so irritated about representation, representation changing in comics to include more people, I just want to say fuck you because that's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's for connecting to people. It's for representing people in the way that they want to be represented, in the way that they can associate with. And it's such an amazing part of the medium. And there's a part of the fan base that has a problem with it. And I hate them so much. I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, again, I think this will be a conversation that we continue afterwards. But I think there's just this fear of, well, if you have this, I'm going to lose that. And you know, when I've had this conversation with people in the past, strangely enough, I've always used the idea of Valhalla because it's like, nobody runs out of table space at Valhalla. The tables just get bigger. Nobody is there saying, you know, nobody's going to take away, you know, Captain America or Iron Man or Batman. They're never going anywhere. They're always going to come back. We all know that Batman's going to be Bruce Wayne. We all know that Iron Man is going to be Tony Stark. And we all know that Captain America is going to be Steve Rogers. Spoiler alert, in case you didn't know that. Um, but, you know, I think that there is this fear that somewhere when someone else is seen, you become invisible. And such a silly thing to be afraid of, I think, really, is what it comes down to. It just is, <laughs> it just is. It is fear, silly. yeah. It's, it's fear that they have, which makes no sense to me. No. Um, for historical perspective, and this is one of those things that I was pointing out to, to someone in comics, I don't know, probably when you and I first, first met, um, you know, and you, I sort of say, well, when did you first read a comic book character that you were like, oh, that person's like me? And it was 1992 when Northstar said, for the first time in comics, a superhero said, I'm gay. I was 22 before I found somebody who I was like, oh, that person's like me. And I always say, imagine having to wait until you're 22 before you see someone else like you, whether it's because you're a person of color, whether it's because you're Jewish or you're Muslim or something else. Imagine being invisible for 22 years. That sucks. And so, you know, when I read a book like this, like Long Walk to Valhalla or uh, what, what, Stuck Rubber Baby or Mouse or any one of the amazing, you know, literary graphic novels that are out there, 
it's just one of those things where I think, how could anyone want to take this off of the shelf and not give it to somebody? How important would it be for a child who has who is differently abled or who has a child, a sibling who is differently abled or a parent who is on the autism spectrum to be able to read this book and think, oh, someone else understands. And now I am stepping off of my soapbox and I'm waving as I step off my soapbox with my sash. That was so <laughs> beautifully said. That was so eloquently put. That was... I I am I feel so blessed to have been to witness that firsthand. Thank you for saying that. That Thank that you. was amazing. I'm a little, I'm a little choked up. Not gonna lie, oh, <laughs> but, it, but it's true. It. It's true. Like being able to relate to something ha- makes it such a tight bond. Mm-hmm. And what comics can do, being visual and literature, being colors and not just shapes and Ah, it's it's such a perfect medium for mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. It's one of the best things about comics. It's hands down one of the best things about comics. The the relationships I've made with comics are stronger than any relationship I mean. I was a I was a collegiate level athlete. I I had scholarship offers leaving high school. Like I I haven't talked to my high school coach in almost a decade. But there are there are customers I had, clients I had from my first comic book job that I still talk to, that I, that I still connect with. And even if it's not, hey, what are you reading? It's just, how are you? Mm-hmm. Like that is such a powerful tool. And God, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I think... Um... I, I think I I feel not bad because that, that sounds obnoxious. I feel as if there were if there was something that I could say to comic book readers, it would be try some guarantee you're gonna find something that will that will be a great, I guess that's what we learned today. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Jeremiah. Okay. So actually we're going to, we're going to have to wrap up in a couple minutes, but any last thoughts? I'm saying this as if you're the one who didn't recommend it to me. I'm going to take all the credit and say, I recommended this book. Uh, obviously we spoiled a bunch <laughs> of stuff in the book, but we, we were able to keep some stuff the secret. Um, yes. One major thing, a secret. Uh, go read this book. Go go read Long Walk to Valhalla. Uh, it just got released in paperback right before the pandemic. Um, but the hardcover is super nice and it has this beautiful, like, lenticular uh, pretty things on it. I don't know if your version has that or not, but yeah. Uh, I did. So my store didn't have it. This is one of the few times that I had to buy something electronically. Yeah. So uh, the cover has this lenticular, like you can see the pretty things. It's really beautiful. Um, But yeah, or even if you don't read this, go read something that isn't a superhero comic or ask, ask anyone for a suggestion that isn't a superhero comic and read something like that. Go read blankets. It's going to be tough, but go read blankets. (laughs) Yes. Um, Any last thoughts for you since I suggested this? (laughs) 
Um, I, I would say thank you for recommending this to me. I absolutely loved this book. Um, go to your local comic shop. If you don't know where one is, go to uh, comicshoplocator.com, enter your zip code, you will find a comic shop near you. Um, it may seem like a $15 purchase isn't gonna be a big deal. It's a very big deal to those stores. They are as much of the part of the communities that we live in, that we work in, uh, as any library or store is. Um, there's a lot of people who go there because that's where they feel at home and that's where they find their family. So, you know, hey, come on in. Welcome to your new family. We're nerdy and we wear strange shirts and we argue a lot about who could beat up who, but that's half of the fun of it. Um, so yes, uh, Long Walk to Valhalla, um, Adam Smith and Matthew Fox. Did I got that wrong, didn't I? No, nope, you nailed that. You nailed that. Oh, I did. Okay. Oh, good. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having Jeremiah me on again. I greatly us. appreciate it. Of course. Well, I think actually, oh, actually, I think we'll have one episode. I think we'll have one episode in between, but we're going to be covering Wonder Woman Historia book two in a couple of weeks. So we'll be talking about about that where Mr. Jeremiah J will be back joining us along with Mr. Matthew Klein and hopefully we'll get Nick Osborne back as well. So we will be nerding out on uh, Historia book two. Um, go to your local comic shop, um, you know, give them a support. Um, if there's not a local comic shop near you, of course, you know, if you, if you need to break down and buy something electronically or borrow something from your library, please do always best to borrow from your local library. They uh, get a lot of um, support dollars when you do borrow something electronically. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we hope you love this book as much as we did. Thank you, Jeremiah, for recommending it. And thank you for joining us. Um, and we will see you again soon on the next Comics Corner. Uh, and until then, don't be cruel.